Well, good morning, church family, and welcome to Windsor Road. If uh, this is your first Sunday here at Windsor, my name's Randy, and I'm privileged to uh, serve as the lead minister here at the church. And I hope you've had a, I hope you've had a really uh, happy Thanksgiving this weekend. And so uh, I'm wondering, what are you thankful for? Uh, talk to me. Let's over here. What are you thankful? Give me a word. What are you thankful for? Salvation. Salvation. What else? What are you all thankful for? Someone, give me a word. Family. Family. All right. Amen. What about over here? What are you thankful for? Packers. The Packers. Okay. All right. I can see. I see we've got a few Packer fans here today. What are we thankful for? What? Provision. Grace. That's right. All right. You know who I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for my optometrist. I am. I am thankful for my, I, I really like going to my optometrist. It's once a year. Uh, my optometrist practices in Villa Grove. Uh, his name is Steve. Great guy. I've uh, been going to him for years and years and years. And I guess one of the reasons why I like going to my optometrist is not only do I get the, the personal, you know, treatment, um, and I never feel like I'm rushed, uh, I like going to my optometrist because every time I go, I learn something about my eyes. You know? He says, now you've got these floaters here. Well, tell me about that. What, what are floaters? You know? And so then he explains it. And he explains it in a way only an Oki can understand. So, and, and so then one time I, I was asking him about my eyes. And he said, now, you know, you've got a blind spot, don't you? I said, what? He said, you do. You have a blind spot. Really? Is that okay? It's perfectly okay. And he explained to me. He, so he takes a sheet of paper, you know, folds it. There's a cross on the right side, and a period on the left side. He says, yeah, hold this paper here. He says, now, put your left hand over your left eye, right, and situate that, that period Kind of right till near the tip of your nose, right? Now stay focused on that period. Keep looking at that period with your right eye. Just keep at it. And slowly bring that paper. Slowly bring that paper. There you go. Right about. I can't see the cross. I, I can't see the cross. I just, it's, he says, that's right. You can't see the cross. It's because you have a blind spot. You have blind. And then if you were to put your right hand over your right eye and focus on the cross, right about at a certain distance, you'd lose, you'd lose. I said, why is that possible? Well, it's because your optic nerve connects at the place uh, and, 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 uh, with your retina, and at that, spo- at that point where it connects with your retina, there are no, there are no, and he uses the word, photoreceptor light-receiving cells. There's no light-receiving photoreceptive cells, and that's why you have a blind spot at both eyes. And, and, and because you have two eyes, and because you have peripheral vision, and because you were born with it, your eyes just compensate, and you just, you just carry this blind spot, these blind spots with you all the time, but you, it doesn't, doesn't bother you any at all. Said, that's incredible. He says, yes, it is. It is incredible. Your blind spot. We all have a blind spot. And I thought that would be a perfect illustration for us to consider as we look at our verses this morning, which teach us about spiritual blind spots. Sp-
spiritual blindness. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 8, and we're going to be looking at verses 22 to 31. It's on page 714 of your church Bibles. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them, not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. This is God's word. It's a one-of-a-kind miracle, Matthew doesn't include it in Matthew's gospel, and neither does Luke, but Mark includes this miracle, this this amazing miracle. It's a miracle that kind of makes you scratch your head. It's a miracle that kind of makes you want to ask, well, now, why did, why, what's that all about? If you were just to take these verses and pull them out, you would wonder, well, What's going on here? I mean, by all outward appearances, Jesus needs a do-over. Golfers would put it this way. Jesus takes a mulligan. You know, he's got to do... We have one golfer here today. Thank you, (laughs) Jesus has this do-over that's got to occur. I mean, what is that all about, this... Blind man has friends taking him to Jesus. Jesus spits on his eyes. Jesus touches him. Do you see anything? Ah, I see stick people. I see people walking around and they look like trees. And Jesus goes, Well, come back here. Let me touch you again, you know. Oh, did this really? I really think this happened. I do. Uh, because you see, if, uh, well, well, first of all, Mark's gospel is Mark's written record of Peter's eyewitness recollections. Peter was there. He saw it. Now, if they were trying to make up a religion and then, you know, sell a story, a fictional story about that religion, they wouldn't have included this. I mean, why include, uh, uh, why, why publicize a story where the leader needs to take a do-over, you see? 
Oh, no, this happened. But why did this happen? What's going on here? I mean, Jesus, Jesus could have spoken to healing from a distance, right? And yes, in Mark's gospel, most often when he heals someone, he touches someone. There's that touch of healing that goes on in Mark's gospel. And so Jesus could have just spoken to healing from a distance. He could have just touched the first time. But no, that's not what happens. It's a process. This man is healed in stages, which gives us a clue that there's something particular that's going on here. In this particular miracle, at this particular time in Mark's gospel, this is at about the midpoint of Mark's gospel when this occurs. And what's that about? What's going on here? And I think a clue to what's going on is Jesus' question to the man in Mark chapter 8, verse 23, when he says, do you see anything? Do you see anything? Now, this man was taken outside the village. His friends were there. The disciples were there. And while Jesus was directly talking to this blind man, his words went over the blind man's shoulders, and the disciples overheard this question. So directly, this question was for the blind man. Indirectly, this question was also for the disciples. I'll tell you why in just a minute. You know, that happens whenever I do wedding ceremonies. I'm standing right here at this point. The bride is here. The groom is here. I give my marriage meditation. I'm looking at both of them, but I know that my words are going over their shoulders onto the ears of the congregation. I'm speaking to the bride and the groom directly, and the congregation is overhearing the message. And the disciples are overhearing the message. And what's the message? The message concerns the problem of spiritual blindness. The problem of spiritual blind spots. By spiritual blindness, I mean that we're not seeing the way God wants us to see. We're not seeing him the way God wants us to see him. And as a result, we're not seeing our world. We're not seeing our relationships. And yes, that affects how we see ourselves. Spiritual blindness is not seeing the way God wants us to see. It's a problem. And it's a problem that permeates the entirety of Mark chapter 8. Let me tell you what I mean. If you glance back up at verse 1, you'll see in verses 1 through 10, that section is summarized by the feeding of the 4,000. Now, the feeding of the 4,000 follows the feeding of the 5,000. So they were two separate events, miraculous events in which Jesus took a little and multiplied it so that thousands and thousands were fed. This amazing sign. And what follows that? A confrontation with his religious enemies, the Pharisees in verse 11, who came and began to question him, and they wanted to test him. They Listen, this came right on the heels of the feeding of 4,000 people. They said they asked him for a sign from heaven. And what did Jesus do next? 
He sighed deeply. Mm. He sighed deeply. It was a sigh of disappointment. It's a sigh of, you don't get it, and you don't want to get it. It's a sigh of willful spiritual blindness. Willful, stubborn, deliberate spiritual blindness. And that's where the Pharisees were. They, they, want, they, they wanted to manage Jesus. They wanted to tame Jesus. They, they were looking for a superman messiah. One scholar puts it this way. They're determined to find a compliant superman endowed with heavenly power who will fulfill their own earthly program. They're looking for a superman messiah who will throw out the tyrants in Rome and install new tyrants them, themselves. They want Jesus to give them proof of what they want to be true. And Jesus refuses. He refuses then and he refuses now. Because he's, he's not a paid performer. He's king of creation. And so we're not going to tame him. And we're not going to manage him. And he, we're, look, the king of creation is not going to hop into your puny little box and perform for you. It's not going to happen. He's not a genie in the bottle kind of Messiah. And so we have to decide, are we going to submit to this king of creation? Are we going to bow to him and voluntarily defer and surrender our lives to him? And often, the reason why we don't, we say we're blind, we things we don't understand, but the fact of the matter is, at the end of the day, we just don't want to. That's why. That's what a 20th century ethics philosopher Mortimer Adler said. He was baptized at 81. He confessed to rejecting religious commitment for most of his life. Why? He said, well, that would require a radical change in my way of life, a basic alteration in the direction of my day-to-day choices, as well as the ultimate objectives. And the simple truth of the matter is, I just didn't want that. Willful, deliberate blindness. I wonder how many of us are infected with that kind, see? And when see, that kind of blindness makes you blind to your blindness, you, you can't see that you can't see. The Pharisees. Willful spiritual blindness. But they weren't the only blind ones. <laughs> they weren't. The disciples themselves were blind. Now, I, I wouldn't call their blindness willful, deliberate, stubborn, obstinate blindness like that of the Pharisees. Theirs was immature blindness. Call it that. Ignorant blindness. That shows up. Shows up right after his confrontation with the Pharisees. See? They get back in the boat after this feeding of the 4,000. And after all this bread, okay, the disciples get in the boat and they only brought one loaf with them. And there's, there's 13 hungry guys. Just one, they forgot to bring bread except for the one loaf they had with them. That's an interesting detail, isn't it? Why is that there? Because an eyewitness was there. That's why. 
One little, one loaf of bread. And they're saying, why didn't you bring the extra bread? We had seven baskets left over. We just had one loaf of bread. And Jesus overhears this, and, and, and here's what he says. He says, you know, if you really want to be concerned about matters pertaining to bread, fellas, you really need to be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees, the leaven of the Pharisees. And we know what he meant by that. A little bit of this deliberate, obstinate, I don't want to see because I just don't want to see kind of blindness. So that's, that's a, that's a, that, that can go viral. That's what he meant. We know that. They began to say to themselves, yeast of the Pharisees, did they sell yeast? What's he talking about? I don't know. You ask him. I'm not going to ask him. You ask him. I asked him last time. and I'm not going to ask him. And so Jesus hears this discussion. It's like, ah! You know? He doesn't go, ah! He goes, ah! Seven rapid-fire questions, beginning in verse 17. Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes that fail to see and ears that fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve. Yeah, and when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Seven. Do you still not understand? Immature, ignorant, toddler-like blindness that's going on here. You know? And then this miracle occurs, you see. Then this miracle occurs where he takes this blind man. Do you see anything? So his words are going right over the blind man's shoulders, landing right on their ears. Do you see anything? The Pharisees' deliberate, willful blindness. The disciples' immature, ignorant, toddler-like blindness. What kind of blindness might we have here today? What do you think? A blindness. Their blindness was a part of their world. What kind of blindness happens in a part of our world? Well, think about it. I mean, you know, we live in a consumer-driven society, a consumer-driven culture, and, 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 and you know what? I'm a part of that. I have consumed this past week. I'm going to be consuming here in the next few weeks. So I'm a part of that culture as, a, as, as an American in an America. That's a superpower in the world. And so uh, I, I, I'm fully aware of that. And, and I need to be aware that living in that environment can affect me in ways that you know, maybe I'm not aware. So, for instance, you might be coming in here today and you might be thinking, well, you know, I mean, this is Thanksgiving and Christmas is coming and it is kind of a, a season of joy and, and a season of spiritual awareness and I need to be more spiritually aware. So, you know, I'm here and I'd, I'd kind of like to learn, you know, how to pray a little better and I'd like to learn something about sacred texts and, and, and I'd, because, you know, I... 
I'd like to get in touch with my spiritual side. That's what I'd like. I'd like to, that would maybe would help me be a, a, a more well-rounded individual. I want to get in touch with my spiritual side. I know what I'll do. I think I'll go shopping for a religion that'll help me accomplish that. You see? See how that happens? And, and while we can appreciate the honesty of that outlook, I have to say, a kind of a, you know, full disclosure, that's not Christianity. Christianity is not a religion to adopt. Christianity is personal. Christianity is about a relationship, knowing a person. And you know how relationships go. I have to give you insight into my life or you're not going to know who I am. And so Christianity, I need to say, Lord Jesus, you are the king of creation and I want to know who you are. And if you do not reveal yourself to me, I'm going to be ignorant and blind as to who you are. Please show yourself to me. You are the king. I will surrender to you. And if you're willing to do that, He's willing to reveal himself to you. And then you see we go into the next step of this. And it's this. You see who Jesus is. And now he requires something of you. And now you have a decision made, don't you? You've got to make a decision. And this is where so many of us get stuck. Because we know enough about who Jesus is to spoil our enjoyment of this world. And yet we're not willing to fully surrender to him as king. And we're just kind of stuck in the middle. Stuck seeing stick people. You know? Because we're conflicted. We want to live in both worlds. And Jesus will not let you live in both worlds. And there's this civil war going on inside of us. And we're, we're wearing gray flannel pants and a union-colored top coat. And we're getting shot at by both sides because we're... We want to serve two masters. Jesus will not let you serve two masters, you see. And so we remain blind. Isn't it interesting? Everybody in this chapter is blind. Everybody. That's unique to Christianity because some faiths want to say, well, there's the good guys and the bad guys and there's the people who can see and those who can't. Christianity says nobody. Christianity says nobody can see. The Pharisees cannot see. The disciples cannot see. The, the, the enemies of Christ cannot see. The friends of Christ cannot see. The Republicans can't see. The Democrats can't see. The, the American League can't see. The National League can't see. The Cubs fans can't see. The Cards fans can't see. That's personal, isn't it? <laughs> Nobody can see. Blue-collar people, white-collar people, everybody is blind. Everybody whether it's deliberate and willful or immature and ignorant, at the end of the day, we're all blind. That's the problem. Tell me, Randy, there's a solution. Don't leave me hanging. Okay, I won't. There is a solution. The solution is Jesus. Just as Jesus, yay Jesus, just as Jesus healed the blind man in stages, Jesus is trying to tell the disciples then and now that their healing and their insight as to who he is will come in stages, in stages. Uh, 
Charles Spurgeon was a preacher in England in uh, the 1800s, and he called this passage here the progressive healing of a darkened understanding. The progressive healing of a darkened understanding. Jesus, Jesus is helping the disciples see that it's going to take more than one touch for them to be fully devoted followers. Don't you see in verse 25 the progression here? His eyes were opened. His sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. That's a, that's a process. It was a process for this blind man and it's going to take a process for the disciples. And, and if you're wondering if this really plays out oh yes that's why you've got to keep reading because afterwards and these events kind of parallel just as Jesus took the blind man out of the village here then Jesus takes the disciples kind of out of the public eye way up north to a place called Caesarea Philippi this huge bedrock type of, uh, of, 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 of mountain and, and this huge bedrock hill. And, and, and there was even a, a, a temple dedicated to a Roman emperor there. And on the way there, Jesus asked the disciples, why, who do people say that I am? Well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say, see, the, the blind man saw stick people. The people See, Jesus, well, he's a prophet. He's, you know, he's kind of an Elijah-like person, so they can see, but they can't see. They need more clarity. Then Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter gets it, doesn't he? He says, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. So he gets it. He, Peter answers the question that has been the dominant question in Mark chapters 1 through 8. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Peter finally gets it. Now, we know who Jesus is from Mark 1.1. But the disciples, we get to follow them. And finally, in Mark 8, Peter gets it. 8.29. You are the Christ. He gets it. He can see. Sort of. Because what happens right after that? He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And then verse 32 says, he spoke plainly about this. No symbolism, no obscurity. He spoke plainly. And what did Peter do? What did he do? Come over here, Lord, we gotta talk. What is this stuff about you dying? This is not going to fly. This is not going to work. We've got to be more positive. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? He called him Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Your thoughts are the thoughts of men, not the thoughts of God. Verse 33. So Mark chapters 9 through 16 answer this second question. What kind of, yes, Jesus is the Christ. Answer, Mark 1 through 8. Mark 9 through 16. What kind of Christ is he? What kind of Messiah is he? And Jesus says, I'm the kind of Messiah that's going to have to go to Jerusalem and die on a Roman cross for people's sins. And I'm the kind of Messiah that demands that kind of commitment from my followers. If anyone, verse 34, would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You see? 
So Peter's going to need more than one touch, won't he? He's going to need more than one touch. And guess what? So do we. And that's what I want you to get from this passage. If you forget everything else, don't forget this. Jesus restores our spiritual sight one touch at a time. One touch at a time, that's how we see. It takes multiple touches. It's a process that unfolds and develops over time. And even when our spiritual blindness is cleared up so that we can see better than we used to, we still need more touches. Now, now listen, I don't want to be un- misunderstood. Um, when you become a Christian, when you give your life to Christ, when you surrender to the King, you go from being 0% forgiven to 100% forgiven. So I will, ne- listen, I will never be more forgiven than I was the day I first surrendered to Christ. So my standing in Christ is from 0% forgiven to 100% forgiven in Christ. That said, that said, my insight into Christ, my growth in Christ, my maturity in Christ, my becoming more and more like Christ, that's a process. And for me, it often looks like the stock market, up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. It's a process that requires multiple touches. So I need the touch of God's word for me to see Christ clearly. And I would tell you that if you're sitting here now, you say, how can I see Christ more clearly? I would say, read your Bible. Read your Bible. What do I, where do I start? How about Mark's gospel? Marinate in Mark's gospel. Read Mark's gospel. Um, I... I uh, have a through the Bible in one year reading plan. Um, write down uh, the word navigators. Navigators. Google navigators Bible reading plan. Navigators Bible reading plan. And they have a plan. 25 days a month you can read through the Bible So in one year. So they, and you can even you can start any time during the year. And what I like about that plan is that it's divided up, you know, it's 25 days a month. So you get, you know, depending on the month, several grace days. Yeah, because I'll tell you, I confess, there are days that, for whatever reason, I don't open the word. I'm sorry to say that. But, so they plan that, though, in 25 days a month. And so it's a process. The touch of God's word. The touch of God's word. And then there's another touch, and I call it the touch of serving. The touch of serving others. Because when you, when you, look, if you you say, if you say, well, I'm, I'm too new to discovering Christianity to open up the Bible. I'm not ready for that. Okay, okay, fine, fine. Please do this, though. Go find an under-resourced person and serve them. And you will see the face of Jesus in their face. You will, because Jesus said, did he not? Whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. So you go to a poor person, someone who is a poor person, someone poorer than you, and you serve them. Or you go to someone in the hospital and you see them. Or you see someone in prison. You visit them and you pray, Lord, help me see your face in their face. And he will answer that prayer. It's the touch of serving others. The touch of, the touch of using my gifts and talents and abilities for God's glory. God has wired each of you with abilities and gifts and talents. And, and I like that line from that movie, Chariots of Fire, where um, 
Olympian turned missionary to China, Eric Little. He said, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. I feel his pleasure. And when you use the gifts and abilities that God has given you, you can feel God's pleasure. You receive that touch, and you see Jesus more clearly. The touch of God's word, the touch of serving, the touch of using your gifts and abilities, and, and, and I can't leave out the touch of suffering or the touch of disappointment or the touch of failure. Even through suffering and disappointment and failure, we can see the face of Christ. Why? Because he suffered, you see. That's why Paul says in Philippians 3, 10 and 11, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. The touch of suffering. And let me just say to another touch, and that's the touch of community. Who brought this man to Jesus in the first place? His friends did. People did. So if you want to grow in Christ, you need companions who will walk with you and be by your side. Friends who will say to you, as Jesus said to this man, do you see anything? Do you see anything? And, and, and I love this guy. He was just honest. Well, kind of. Yes and no. A definite Maybe. How many of us would say to our friends, when they ask us, do you see anything? Oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm okay. Everything's okay. Instead, we need to say, well, I'm not getting it. I'm just not getting it. I kind of do, but I need some help. Can you help? Can you help? And you know, my goodness, this, this is why I love Celebrate Recovery, because it's a community of people who gather on Friday nights with various hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and a community that says, well, we see, but we don't see. Can you help? Can you help? And, and this Friday, I'm going to be privileged to uh, teach on making amends, making amends, and dinner's at uh, 545, and large group worship starts at 630, goes for an hour before we break out into issue-specific groups, but you know, our vision as a church is not being a life-changing individual. It's about being a life-changing what? Community. So you need that touch of community. All of these touches, the word, serving, your gifts, suffering, community, and any one of them or all of them in a sequence or at the same time, God uses to grow us and mature us and clarify our vision. And this should encourage us. And here's why. Listen, we're never going to see Christ as clearly as we would like to see him this side of heaven. I'll say that again. We're never going to see Christ as clearly as we would like to see him this side of heaven. So there's always going to be room for growth. Always, always, always. And, and please remember, just because you lack understanding of Christ doesn't mean you don't have standing in Christ. 
just means we need to grow. We need to grow. And, and here's what I've learned. <laughs> the way I know that I'm starting to see clearly is to realize how little I've been able to see clearly. <laughs> it's a paradox. It's one of those, if you want to be first, you've got to be last. If you want to lead, you've got to be a servant. If you want to see clearly, you've got to admit how little you're able to see clearly. And so hopefully, 10 years from now, I will look back to this date in history, and I will say, man, I was, so, I was such an immature baby. I was. Well, what's that mean for me right now? Well, that means right now I'm an immature baby. That's what that means. Huh? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. As in a mirror. Now, your mirror is different from their mirror. We have fancy mirrors. Mercury, sprayed on glass. No, no, no. The best they had was polished metal. And that's why it was distorted. That's why it was a poor reflection. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Then. When is then? Then is in the new heavens and the new earth new body death has been destroyed Satan has been thrown into the lake of fire forever Jesus is king then then and it's going to be a wonderful day and we'll see clearly and, and, and the wonder and the beauty of it will never stop it never will um, Friday I had a memorial service for uh, the oldest member at our church, Eleanor Reeves. Eleanor Reeves. She died last Sunday night and uh, had a memorial service for her on Friday. And Eleanor was 100 years of age. She was born in 1912. 1912. My goodness. How do you... In 12 minutes, summarize 100 years of life. How do you do that, you know? Well, I learned from her family that she had a, a phrase, a saying that, was, that pretty much defined her life. And it was this phrase, three words. Eleanor Reeves said this often. She said the three words that defined her life. The words were, I do declare. <laughs> I do declare. I mean, someone born in 1912 would say that, right? I do declare. I do declare. Huh? I do declare. And, well, think about her world in 1912. That was when the Titanic sank. In 1912, the average wage in the United States of America, 22 cents an hour. 1912. In 1912, um, there were less than 200 paved miles of road in the country. In 1912, if you wanted to buy gasoline for your car, if you had a car, you had to go to the drugstore. Because <laughs> that's the only place that sold it. 
back in 1912. In 1912, 8% of Americans had telephones. 14% of Americans had bathtubs in their homes in 1912. And so, no wonder when someone told Eleanor Reeves about how a smartphone could, with a tap on an app, open your front door from 150 miles away, no wonder she said, I do declare. (laughs) You would too. And that humility... And that hunger and that delight, that delight, that, that uh, desire to learn and grow and see. She said, I do declare, the very day she died. Her mind was clear. Her body just wore out, you see. That, that, that attitude, that Lord, you know, I see, but I want to keep seeing. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Keep touching me. Keep showing me. The beauty for Eleanor is that in heaven, in the new heavens and the new earth with new bodies, listen, every day will be an I do declare day. And it will never stop. It will never cease. And, and, and that's why I love the last page of C.S. Lewis's book, The Last Battle, which is the last installment of his Chronicles of Narnia series. On the very last page, C.S. Lewis writes, All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever and ever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Wow, I want to go to heaven. You see, Jesus restores our spiritual sight one touch at a time. His eyes were opened. His sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. And you know why that happened? That happened because in Mark chapter 15, we're going to find out what kind of Messiah Jesus was. At the cross, Jesus was plunged into the darkness. Mark 15, 33 says, At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, it was so that we could see, that's why, at the cross, in the darkness, Christ lost his cosmic light. He was plunged into the blindness so that we could see. And church family, that's why I'm thankful. 